Today, learning and development is at the heart of a franchise system's need for company-wide standardization and growth. Providing a robust and immersive training program is not only essential to attract new franchisees and employees, but also ensure they stay within the business and perform at the highest possible level too. Thus, Franchise L&D will speak to the experts at the heart of this evolution. We'll look at how new initiatives and pioneering technology are changing the way we learn and why franchise systems are even more reliant on L&D professionals than ever before. So please grab a coffee, lean in and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Franchise L&D, the show where we learn about learning and meet the L&D professionals at the heart of the sector too. And today, I'm delighted to say we meet Scott Greenberg. For more than two decades, Scott has worked full-time as a speaker and franchise performance coach, giving presentations throughout the world to clients such as McDonald's, Anytime Fitness, The Wyndham Group, Smoothie King, and many, many more. For 10 years, Scott was also a super successful franchisee with Edible Arrangements before selling that enterprise in 2015. Today, Scott focuses full-time on speaking, coaching, and writing for the franchise industry, including being the author of the acclaimed industry Bible, The Wealthy Franchisee. Scott, it's great to have you with us. Welcome to Franchise L&D. Thank you for having me. So first things first, um, why franchising? It's a great question because nobody sets out to get in franchising. Everyone sort of backs into it. So for me, I was doing motivational speaking full time for a number of years. And I was talking a lot about leadership to people who had more experience actually doing it than I had. That always bothered me. And as my wife and I were starting a family, I realized I'd like another stream of income that doesn't require so much traveling, but something that could help my speaking. And what I liked about franchising is you have a lot of people doing the same thing, but getting different results. I find that interesting. So I realized if I were to get into that kind of business, I could use it as a little bit of a laboratory to try out all the concepts that I've been saying on stage to find out which ones are legitimate and which ones are theoretical and, and useless. So um, I, that, when I had that thought, that's when I stumbled upon a, a, an airline magazine ad for edible arrangements. And before I knew it, I was attending a discovery day and I jumped into it. And so I continued my speaking business while also building up my edible arrangements. But being part of a franchise, franchise industry, it helped me really start to figure out what is the difference between great franchisees and those who are just average or struggling. So uh, that's what I like about the franchise industry. It's a great way to start a business where you don't necessarily know everything about the business. You can be taught it, but also we can see other people who are doing it and you can compare and contrast and learn a lot from that. Sure. No, no great answer. And why, why edible arrangements? What, what was the attraction there? And tell us a little bit more about your success there. Um, Cause I know you built into uh, to become a multi-unit franchisee, didn't you? Sure. Well, um, I, I, you know, I can rewrite the story. The honest truth is it was the first, as soon as I had the idea thinking, oh, maybe I should look into franchising. That was the first ad I happened to see. So it felt oh, there like we go. <laughs> it turned out to be a great choice for me, but I would never encourage anybody to follow my lead and be so impulsive. So that was the only brand that I called or the only discovery day I went to. It just, it worked, it clicked and I tend to be decisive, um, i.e. impulsive. And that's what I went with. But it wound up being a great fit for here in Los Angeles. Uh, they didn't have too many locations. We're very much into gift giving here, very much into things that are healthy. Uh, and it seemed like a really, this really great progressive up and coming company at the time. So it was a great choice for me. But I can't say that uh, my process for vetting them was as thorough as it could have been. <laughs> 
you weren't up all night doing the research there. It was it was one of, it was more uh, it's more fate, wasn't it, that, that brought you together? Um, uh, yes, I it worked out well, so I can't describe myself as a cautionary tale. But I would not recommend <laughs> anybody be as impulsive as I. I got really lucky with that. Fantastic. And just for for some of our listeners, audience who may not know, what do they do at uh, Edible Arrangements? So Edible Arrangements makes uh, floral arrangements uh, out of fruit. So all the fruit is cut to look like flowers, and then they add chocolate and various things. And the company has since expanded into other kinds of treats, uh, even even flowers that are. But it's all about celebration and gift giving. But the flagship product is still the uh, floral arrangement made out of fresh fruit. Okay, great stuff. No, that sounds very appetizing. I see. So, uh, so, so with regards to uh, your work at uh, Ed- Edible Arrangements, uh, excuse me, what are the challenges uh, initially? Coming into a business which which you ran, and and what was the support from um, from head office as well, or from corporates? The head office was great. Very strong field team. Very strong marketing team. It was easy to get people on the phone. In the beginning, it was easy to get the CEO on the phone because the company was much smaller. Necessarily so, that became more difficult, which is good because I don't want the CEO focusing on helping individual franchisees. I want the CEO focusing on growing the brand and hiring other people who could help us. Um, but I would say the biggest challenge in the beginning, as it is for most people, is, you know, building and managing a team. Uh, now, as, as someone who is from the personal growth industry, I found that really interesting. And I put an above average amount of time trying to figure out how to do that well. But in the beginning, I realized so many of the things I'd said on stage were theoretical. It didn't translate well to hourly employees. So it was difficult trying to really identify the difference between a, a great fit and someone who's not a great fit during the interview process, then once I had them on my team, being able to keep their skills up and keep their attitude up and, and get them to be reliable. So it took some time, but over the years, we got better and better. And by the time you know I was done with the business, most of my employees had been with me for years and we won awards and they were spectacular. But it was a learning curve and it was very tough in the beginning. Sure. So taking a step back then, because you obviously you, you were teaching and coaching and you were speaking on stage prior to uh, joining edible, edible arrangements. So what were the main differences then you talked about between the theory and, and the practice? I think that in the beginning, I was relying a little too much on the cliches of motivational speaking. It turned out my employees didn't care that there was no I in team. To them, that was just, <laughs> that was just a comment on spelling, right? Or the other phrase, you know, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. No, sure. they, didn't care, they didn't care about any of that. They're just like, you know, just like, what does that mean? Right. And there's so many people who are spouting up stuff, who are going on LinkedIn, they're posting things about leadership and motivation, and they're not actually doing it and practicing it. And for me, it's only useful if it's grounded in, in reality. Now, it did my experience as a motivational speaker, it made me curious and it got me thinking about the bigger things, the human things, and that gave me a huge advantage. But I had to change a lot of things I said on stage because they just weren't working in the real world. Um, so that, that was a big thing is really kind of meeting my employees where they're at rather than expecting them to be these evolved, high thinking individuals who are, you know, who are spiritual, want to go out and change the world. They want to make their hourly wage and get back to their boyfriends and girlfriends and, you know, do what they're doing. And I had to like really put myself in check. No, great stuff. Is that one of the core learnings that you've had from, from your time at Edible? Um, and it, cause it seems to, it's worked two ways there, hasn't it? I mean, you're, I suppose you're speaking prior to entering there kind of kind of put you on the path into uh, becoming a franchisee. And then your time as a franchisee has helped you teach other franchisees and franchisors. So, but yeah, it'd be great if, the, if there's any other core learnings you, you've taken from that time 
and which you maybe speak about on stage now? Yeah, well, I'd say that, you know, the, the primary, my, the hypothesis of all of my work is that nothing impacts our performance more than the human elements that we bring to our own work. So individually, it's our mindset and collectively, it's the cultures that we create. Now, these human factors are, are they're hugely important, but most people ignore them because they're so busy. They'd rather focus on operations, right? So, you know, marketing and taking care of customers and sweeping up and just doing all the things that they've got to do. But they're not taking a step back and being as mindful about their own mindset. And are they really being an asset to the business by having a clear head, by sticking to the system, by leading to change? Or are they a liability to the business because they're, they're so in the weeds, they're not focusing on what's going on. They're not, they're not inspiring and engaging their employees. They're not delighting their customers. They're operating from a place of fear or from a place of too much positivity where they're in denial. When I, you know, my whole career in the franchise world is understanding what makes top franchisees, who might call wealthy franchisees, different from everyone else. And yeah, they're marketing, but they're not marketing that much more. They're not, they don't necessarily have better locations. They're not necessarily putting in that many more hours. But what they all have in common in my observation and in my research for the book and these interviews is they're masters of these human elements, how they think, how they lead, and how they serve. So that's what 10 years of running a business um, confirmed for me. And I continue to see it with every franchise I work with. Gotcha. And you mentioned um, a little bit as well, and we, we, we may as well, we'll we move into it. Um, you mentioned uh, your book, um, The Wealthy Franchisee, which, which is a great read and I highly recommend it, actually, whether in franchising or not. Um, I mean, it touches on mindset, which is, which is useful um, for, for us all. Um, but why, why, why did you write the book then initially? What, what, what took you in, onto that path? Well, Rob, I wasn't even going to mention the book, but since you brought it up. <laughs> the magic of technology, we have an image of, of the book, uh, buy here, buy now. I'm surprised it's not already on the screen, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> you know, so, so I was already doing professional speaking, and then I got all this franchise experience. So that naturally led to other franchise systems starting to bring me in to do what I do, but for franchisees, which is most of what I do now. And before every single presentation, I interview a lot of their, their franchisees, including their top people, but also their struggling people and those who are in between. And I've noticed the trends, what all these different groups have in common. So once I started giving all these presentations, it was pretty common that I would give it, you know, I'd give a talk somewhere and it would go well. And then people come up afterwards and want more and they'd say, Hey, do you have a book? So the idea was sort of planted there by my clients and audience members saying, Hey, they want more. So based on that, I wrote The Wealthy Franchisee. So it's not just based on my firsthand experience, or it's also based on research and interviews and seeking out top franchisees from around the world from a variety of industries and interviewing them, picking their brains and seeing what they all have in common. And so I wrote the book to really codify everything that I've been saying on stage. And it was an incredible journey. And I met some great people. And I really think I've been able to put my finger on what all these people have in common and Rob, the great news is it's all things that other franchisees can replicate. So like I said, it's not that they all have great locations or some huge background. It's more about these human elements. These are things we can all replicate and increase our chances of getting the same results. So that's great. Also be great to hear, I've read the book, as I've mentioned, also be great to hear about the, the two contrasting franchisees, the story of John and Diane, which kind of leads the book, doesn't it? It, it is. And I'll, I'll spoil it for those people who haven't read the book. Uh, so these characters are really composites of franchisees I meet in every single industry and in every single organization. Gotcha. So, you know, Diane is this high performing franchisee who, who ranks really well, who has loyal employees, who's getting wealthy, really doing well. And then the other gentleman is someone who is struggling. 
And so the, the book is the differences between them and, you know, really understanding about that mindset that she has. Um, so all throughout the book, because I'm talking about the customer experience, coaching employees, dealing with adversity, the relationship with the franchisor, I talk about the two different ways each one of them, uh, you know, engages this topic, right? How, how Jack relates to the franchisor, how Diane does, the kind of service that Jack settles for and the kind of service that Diane insists on creating for customers. So it's really understanding the difference. My hope is that as people read the book, they'll say, yeah, I am kind of thinking like him. I need to kind of change that. So I'm not looking to insult people, but I want them to understand what are their habits that are really pulling them up and what are the habits and thought patterns that are pulling them down. And that's why I created those two characters. But those people exist in every franchise system, Rob. Sure. No, no, thank you. Um, and with regards to, um, cause I know you, you know as well, when, when you were questioning successful franchisees, a lot of the time they came out with answers which were pretty standard. Um, it's to do with the market and it's to do with the location or they didn't realize, um, why they, they were successful. Um, even though they may be positive, positive thinkers with great mindsets, they weren't able to articulate that. So how, how did you form your questioning to, to be able to, I suppose, literally, but get under the skin of them and find and, and dig a little bit deeper and find out a bit more about how they actually do it? Cause they, some of them didn't seem, seem to know themselves, which, which was really interesting. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of basketball and growing up, my favorite basketball player was Magic Johnson. Just incredible basketball player. And then for a brief time, he was the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. And his performance as a coach, with all his knowledge and experience, it was vastly different than how he was as a player. Being able to be really great at something doesn't mean you can always teach it. And one of the things that I learned from these wealthy franchisees is they can't necessarily articulate what it is that makes them special. When you ask them, what are you doing? Half of them said, well, I don't know. I'm just getting lucky. They're humble. Um, or I ask them, hey, why are you so successful? They say, well, it's not me, it's my team. Again, there's that humility, but they really are placing a lot of great emphasis on celebrating their teams, on continuously coaching their teams, keeping the fire lit within the teams rather than just lighting a fire under them. But they themselves can't articulate it because that's the, that's the only way they know how to run a business. So my job as the outsider is to talk to them and to notice things that they themselves aren't doing. So one of the things that I do besides keynoting is franchises will have a moderator panel. So it's very common after a keynote, we'll have three or four of the top franchisees on stage and I'm sitting with them and I'm asking questions and I'll say, hey, tell me what have you done in the last year that's enabled you to rank so high? And typically the answers are, well, we do a lot of marketing. I, you know, I get out in the community. I treat my employees well. And all the other franchisees are sitting there unimpressed because everyone is doing those things. But if you pay closer attention to these panelists on stage, you see that they have this this enthusiasm about them, this level of engagement. They take responsibility. They're humble. They're, they're not necessarily positive. They, they're clear. You know, they keep their emotions in check. So they themselves can't point out the things that they have in common that make them different. So that's why I pointed out in the book. So, so you know, people will call a top franchisee because they want to pick their brain, but usually they're asking operational questions. Where are you finding your employees? How are you marketing? And the answers are usually not that impressive. It's the way they execute these things. And again, they may they not be able to tell you how they're doing it, but an outside observer can point that out. So that's, that's my role. Okay. No, that, that, that's great. It's almost a secret source, really, isn't it, that, that people have. And it takes someone like yourself as a consultant to, to, to kind of show them what they have and uh, imagine how to use it in, 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 a, in a bigger and better way as well, even though they are being successful. That's right. Um, so, with Scott, with, with regards to, um, say, I'm John, I'm struggling. Um, 
I'm not sleeping at night. I'm, I'm being kept up by, by by the business. How would you start to evolve me into, and I'm using the two characters uh, from the book, but how would you start to evolve me from a John who's struggling into a Diane who's super successful uh, and doing all the right things? It, it sounds almost like you're going to have to work on my psychology uh, as, as much as anything else in, in some ways. Yes. Now, I'm not a psychologist, nor am I interested in being one. And I don't think one needs a, a deep understanding of that to know what is to be successful. Most franchisors informally rate all their franchisees as their A's, B's, and C's, or their ones, twos, and threes, right? Those top people, the mid-level people, and those who are struggling. I think the greatest opportunity is to help the people who are in the middle. A lot of the people who are struggling are done, they're fed up, they have a terrible attitude, and franchisors put so much time and resources to helping them only to get all this resistance. These are the people who are protesting and refusing to go to annual conventions um, you know, they're the ones who are really difficult. And so I tell franchisors, support them, that, that third group, you know, make sure you meet all the requirements of the franchise agreement, but don't let them take your time away from the people who are in the middle. Uh, those are the franchisees. So, so the truth is, if John were one of those people who just have a horrible attitude and just isn't going to change, he's not going to read my book anyway, and he's not going to come to me. <laughs> so I don't worry about him. But there's a lot of people in that mid-level who are struggling, but they really have an open mind. They want to take their business to the next level. So that's, that's the greatest opportunity. So to answer your question, the first thing I would do is to get them to stop looking outward and spend a little bit more time looking inward, being more mindful of their own thought patterns, their emotions, and really asking themselves the way they're thinking and behaving. Are they an asset to the business or are they a liability? Are their thoughts and behaviors and emotions aligned with that of wealthy franchisees? Or are they thinking and behaving and feeling more like struggling? So it's about a lot of self-awareness. So are you really sticking to the system? What do you do when things get difficult? You know, are you getting data or are you, you know, complaining? Um, really become more aware of yourself and then be willing to reset your brain. Again, this doesn't mean having a positive attitude, but clearing your head so you're using the right part of your brain. That would be, the, that's really the main thing. And then once there's more self-awareness, then you can start thinking about the human elements of your employees and of your customers, because your employees have fear and self-doubt and insecurity. Customers have these things. Well, if we can elevate the emotions of them, help them be clear, make them feel good when they come to work, make them feel good when they come to our businesses and spend money, well, that's what's going to help grow the business. So I can get into specific tactics for customer service and coaching employees. All the work that I do is there. But generally speaking, it's about having a deeper appreciation for these human elements and not just thinking that you can just stay busy and just do marketing and facilitate cold transactions. No, smart. Yeah, thank you. That's a great answer. And with regards to, so the book was published in, uh, we keep, I keep name dropping the book here and why not, but the book was published in 2020. So it's been around two years now. Um, I imagine people have, have written to you, come up to you at events um, uh, and when you're doing your, your, your talks and, I'm recounting how it's helped them. Could, can you share any any stories around the success stories around you know maybe the middle ground becoming you know uh, an A one from a from a from a B as as I just mentioned. That has been the best part of the entire experience, and it was slow going with the book because it came out during the pandemic, and a lot of people were okay. thinking about yeah. other things. And you know, a book on franchise success, um, you know, when so many franchises were in survival mode. You know, it was difficult. So the truth is it's been, yeah, it's been a little over a year and a half that the book has been out. It's really been the last six months that suddenly there's all this incredible activity and the book has done very well. But now more than ever, I'm hearing from franchisees who have a new approach 
to hiring because they're using the hiring matrix that I talk about, or they're coaching employees by focusing more on skill set versus mindset. A lot of franchise systems have, you know, bought the book for everyone, or they even buy the book for everybody who comes through Discovery Day or for every new franchisee. So suddenly there's a lot of activity around it. And, um, you know, certainly has been very good for my speaking business. So, um, you know, it's more anecdotal because the nature of it, we're talking about, you know, human elements as opposed to being a sales book. Um, But it's really been fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to sell the book, but when someone then buys a book for someone else or they bring me, not just bring me to speak, but they bring me back. That's, that's what really feels great. So there's a lot of exciting things happening, uh, right now. And I also created an online course based on the book. And a number of those franchisees have made changes in their business where now they have better retention. Sales are going up. Um, again, a lot of more anecdotal information than anything, but, um, it feels good to think that I've created this thing that might be helping a few people. No, that's great. You mentioned there actually the hiring matrix. Um, could, could you talk to, talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that a lot of employers and managers and franchisees get in their own way with hiring, not understanding all the biases that they bring in and not being clear what they're looking for. They talk to someone and tell me a little bit about yourself. Why do you want to work here? Or, you know, the clever, you know, what's your biggest weakness? You know, that's, that's so clever. And, and so then the, the person they're interviewing, they give the standard answers because they're prepared for those questions and we don't really learn anything. The purpose of an interview is to identify two things. Does this person have the characteristics you need for the job for which you're hiring? And are they a cultural fit for your business? These are the two things that are important. So what I suggest is that you look at your top employees for a specific position and identify what are the five or six, seven characteristics that they have. Um, and these are the things that we're going to measure. Then you ask questions that test for those characteristics, and then you rate the the person you're interviewing on a scale of one to five so that you have a numeric score at the end. So if you're looking for empathy, responsibility, uh, you know, whatever the things are, you rate them for each one of these things on a scale of one to five. And at the end, you can add them up and give them a score, which then you can use to compare to the scores of other people you're interviewing, testing for the same things. When you don't do this, then you're doing things like, what does your gut tell you? Or do you like the person? But you're not hiring a friend. And your gut isn't reliable. And you can't teach, if you're a franchisee, you can't teach your manager your gut. And if multiple people are part of the selection process, they might have different biases and they might be focusing on different things. So you want to be very deliberate about what you're focusing on, sign a numeric score um, so that you can then look at potential employees more objectively. And that'll help you overcome your biases and focus on the things that matter most. And the best employee may not be the person you like the most as a person. But that doesn't mean they're not the most qualified to do the job well. So, Scott, um, when we met initially to, to discuss uh, franchise L&D, we, uh, one thing you believe the sector is lacking and we talked a lot about is soft skills, um, which have now seem to be referred to as power skills because they're being given more priority and importance um, and more influence. Um, but you think they're lacking in, 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 uh, in franchising, don't you? And w- why is that? And um, and how do you believe that that can be changed? I think they're lacking in most industries, but certainly in franchising. Um, and it's not for you know bad intentions on behalf of franchisors. It is an overwhelming task to create a system that you can replicate and teach to other people, which is what franchising is. And that's what's in the franchise agreement. So if you have a frozen yogurt concept, it is a whole lot of work to teach someone how to, you know, what that system is and how to stick to it, provide the marketing support and do all the contracting, everything that's involved. 
soft skills is a whole other area and they don't necessarily have the time, have the capacity. And honestly, in many cases, the know-how just because you're an expert in senior in-home care or an expert in child care or an expert in frozen yogurt or cheeseburgers or oil changes, that doesn't mean that you necessarily understand how to overcome insecurity or how to make customers feel great or how to coach employees. It's something completely different. And when it comes to anything related to employees, a lot of franchisors are shy about getting into that because their lawyers have advised them stay away from all things related to employees because you don't want the government to see you as a joint employer. So consequently, most franchisors are just focusing on everything operational, the system, not so much on the thought patterns and the level of engagement and the soft skills of the franchisee. It's just not their area of expertise. So those franchisees who naturally have great soft skills or who go out and get it are at an advantage compared to those who just stick to operations and are busy without being mindful of how their soft skills are impacting them. So that is the void that I try to fill is to provide better soft skills for franchisees, but in a way that is very concrete and grounded. So I'm not going to get up and just talk about attitude. I want to help them make more money. And again, I did it for 10 years with my own money. So I've been in the weeds. I've been in the trenches. I know what it's like. So my job is to connect and show that combination between soft skills and hard skills, because when we bring those together, now we have the winning combination. No, that makes sense. And with regards to, do you think part of the, not opposition to soft skills, but part of the reason why they haven't been prioritized as much, it, is it difficult to show a tangible benefit of increasing someone's ability to be, um, to show more empathy, um, for example? Um, is, is that being difficult to say, look, it's, it's going to have a material benefit on your business if, if, you, if you work on these soft skills or, or, or maybe not? Has, has it been quite straightforward? For me, it's straightforward because I just say, hey, look at the great people. Look at the people in your system who rank number one or two, who are consistently having better retention, um, who have better sales. Look at them and follow the recipe, but follow the entire recipe. If you're just looking at their marketing or where they're finding employees, but you're not paying attention to their mindset, to the way they go about building culture, well, then you're just copying part of the recipe. So you're not going to get the same results. And that's what I do in my book. It's not just my opinion. I'm interviewing and spotlighting all these really great people from a variety of industries and you see what they have in common. So you don't have to take my word for it. Just look at the people who are great and copy everything about them. And what you'll find is, you know, there aren't too many great franchisees making tons of money who rank at the top, who are deviating from the system, who are providing, um, you know, poor customer experiences, who are coming from a place of emotion as opposed to a place of clarity. You're just not going to find that. So my job is just to point that out. And it's a pretty easy argument to make for those who are really committed to growing their business. Okay, no, thank you. No, it makes a lot of sense. And with regards, so so I've I've just been on on the on the phone to your publisher and I've I've uh, been authorized to offer you the chance to to write a sequel uh, to the wealthy franchisee. Um so congratulations. Yeah, there. the wealthier franchisee? Yeah, my man. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, what if there was a, if there was a sequel to the book? Um, have you thought about you know what you could p- perhaps improve on? Because following maybe the feedback and the conversations you've had after writing the book and after after um, publication, um, there must be there must be you know some some more interesting facts and ideas to 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 uh, to, to write in, into the next. Well, book. it's an interesting question, uh, and I have just finished a book proposal for um, my next book, which hopefully we'll be able to sell. 
Um, and uh, my agent is going to start shopping that next week. Um, so I'm not at liberty at this moment to share what the potential title or the topic is, but I would say it would be a great follow-up uh, for the, uh, to the wealthy franchisee. So stand by, and hopefully before too long, maybe you can have me back and we can be talking about that. But it, uh, it, it definitely is a good follow-up, and I'm super excited to write it. Fantastic. No, congratulations. Um, so moving on, you're obviously working as, as a consultant alongside an author and a speaker, et cetera. Um, so I, I'm a franchisor. What would our conversation look like if I, if I wanted to bring you on board? And, and yeah, what route would you take me down? And what, um, what kind of template of statement of work would, would you put together? Well, if you're a franchisor, you'd be begging and pleading, Scott, please, maybe pay you to come and speak to our franchisees and buy your book for everyone. <laughs> then I'd wake up <laughs> from my dream. Um, So so a typical day at work for me is a franchise system after a lot of preparation and and me interviewing a number of franchisees and really talking with the franchisor about the messaging and customizing it is I would arrive on site and I do a lot of virtual presentations as well. But fortunately, we're getting back to live events where I show up on site and I would do a keynote address. More often than not, it's towards the beginning of the conference, but sometimes I'll be a closing speaker in the middle. Um, so I will do a keynote presentation. Very often I'll do breakout sessions with more nuts and bolts. Often I will moderate panels and it might be of top franchisees, but it might also be executive leadership of the franchise system itself. It's a more interesting way of sort of having a conversation in front of everyone, perhaps taking questions. It's a little bit more engaging than just, you know, the CEO or, you know, head of marketing is getting up and giving a presentation. So I'll, I'll do that as well. And then just be there for franchisees to talk one-on-one. So these are the things that I do in a typical day of work. And so it's a lot of traveling um, and a lot of getting to know all these different brands so I can connect my material to their experience to make it as helpful as possible. Gotcha. And what would a, a kind of typical contract with, with a franchisor look like? Uh, do, do you contract for them for, for a number of months? Is it, is it one-off engagements or is it a mix of all the above? It's a mix. Probably most of it is they'll have me at their conference and then there might be some follow-up videos or they might, you know, schedule me to do some, some follow-up Zooms, that kind of thing. Many of them uh, will buy licenses for some franchisees to go through my course and to do it as a cohort. So it's kind of creates a peer performance group or reinforces ones that are there where they go through the course together to really apply the tools and it kind of guides them through a process of improving the business. So it just depends. Um, you know, tomorrow I'll be flying to Florida to speak to um, Batteries Plus, which is a franchise system that's happening before. Now they're bringing me back to speak to um, 75 of some of their top franchisees and award winners to kind of go a little bit deeper with them. So that's pretty common. Probably about half of what I do are, are follow up programs like that. OK, great stuff. And, and just uh, changing gears a little bit, because obviously before before we speak, uh, we have a conversation. I take a look at your LinkedIn, um, and I notice you. Uh, you've obviously studied film. You've studied creative, creative writing, which you put into play for the, the wealthy franchisee. So, if if you weren't doing um, a little bit of a fun question, if you weren't doing what you're currently doing, would we see you on a Hollywood Hollywood film set, Scott? Or, or what, what would you like to be? What would you like to be doing? I have always seen myself as a storyteller, which is why I went to film school in the first place and worked for a little bit in the entertainment industry. And I still see myself as a storyteller. But rather than just trying to entertain, I want to use stories and anecdotes and real world examples to help other people improve their businesses and improve their lives. So if I did do something else, it would still be some version of storytelling to enhance the life of those people who are hearing or watching the story. So it could have been film. OK, good, great answer. And, and lastly, I've really enjoyed the conversation, but just to just to get a, a final uh, piece of a golden nugget piece of advice, maybe if, if you uh, if I was a. 
a new franchisee uh, and you had to give me that one piece of advice. If I had just 10 seconds to give advice, I would say to do three things. When you start your business, make sure that you keep a clear head, stick to the proven system, and use your business to improve the lives of everyone it touches, your employees, your customers, fellow franchisees. Keep a clear head with your emotions in check, stick to the proven system, and use your business to improve the lives of everyone it touches. If people do those three things on a daily basis, they're going to be successful in franchising. Great advice. Thank you very much, Scott. And uh, yeah, before we, before we clock off, um, I'm sure after listening to you today, um, people would love to get in touch. Um, where, whereabouts could, could they do that? Could, could you share your, and look, the, again, the magic of technology, we'll, we'll, have it, we'll have it running across the screen, I'm sure, with regards to your website and your email. But um, is there any way you, you know, is there any way you can highlight now for us where, where people can get in touch with you? Sure. My website is scottgreenberg.com, B-E-R-G. And you can also find me in all the main social media channels, um, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me there. But everything starts with my website, which is scottgreenberg.com. Great stuff, Scott. It's, it's been really interesting to, to, to speak to you. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, as ever, I, I've, I've learned a lot. It's, it's been a learning curve for me, and I've really enjoyed it. I'm going to read the book again as well, actually. Um, just as a, as, as a final plug. But uh, thank you for coming on. It's been really great to meet you. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.